0: the EF Hutton of AA now. Yeah. So, you all listen. Well, I'm Clarence Snyder and I'm a I'm a uh, rummy. And I and I have recovered. A lot of people I hear them always say they're recovering. When do we recover? Well, we recover when we go into this program. And we can stay recovered as long as we stay in the program. If we want to unrecover, why, we either neglect going into it or get out of it, quit going. Quit attending uh, attending meetings and quit working by the plan that we have. You know, I hear an awful lot of things about this program. And uh, I probably have had more opportunity to hear these things and see them than good many people have since i've been around here longer than anyone else and uh i've had uh my last AA birthday was in february i had 44 years in this fellowship This does not qualify me as Moses, but believe me, I have learned a few things. Any uh, dumb as I am, you have to learn something in that length of time if you stay active and stay around these people. And I hear an awful lot of things about this program, and I hear people say how hard they're trying to work this, and they're working this, and they're working that stuff, and they're working something else and i hear them say sometimes i don't know how it works it just works well sucks, if you read the big book it tells you how it works in chapter five and uh i'm a fundamentalist in a.a. i believe in the fundamentals of this program i happen to come into this program before it was known as alcoholics anonymous and before this 12-step program was put together yet we had a six-step program in the old Oxford Movement. And all the people who preceded me and a number of them that came afterwards came into that Oxford group. So we found that alcoholics are different than people. And we, and we found that alcoholics have to have their own society. We owe our origin to the Oxford Movement, and they were wonderful people. But they were all civilians. And I saw very early in my life, in in this fellowship, friction developing between the earthlings and the rummies. And uh, it got to the point where it got rather desperate at times. But due to a number of... Due to a number of reasons, we had to break away and start our own fellowship. Mostly because of the idea of religion. The... uh, nobody here is against religion I hope that uh, this wasn't what we what I'm talking about the Oxford movement was a Protestant religious fellowship and Catholics did not belong to it for the simple reason the church did not permit them to and in my struggling around to try to find some some members when I left City Hospital in Akron in February 1938, my sponsor, Dr. Bob, told me to go back up to Cleveland and spend the rest of my life fixing rummies as an avocation. And I sat up there and tackling rummies every place I could find them. Now remember, we had no book, we had no group, we had no literature, we had no nothing. So I walked up to some drunk on a street and I tell her, hey, Butcher, you ought to quit drinking, you ought to be like me. Well, this is a great approach. <laughs> and I did get some resistance. <laughs> but after seven months of that carrying on, I finally nailed the guy, and he is my first baby. And I got him in the hospital. And I was walking four feet off the ground. I finally had accomplished something. I think in those days my main object was I didn't feel I'd ever be a member of this great fellowship until I had successfully sponsored someone. So I went out after that with a vengeance. And mostly the vengeance was taken out on me. But anyway, it finally happened. And I've come to realize why it took me seven months to sew up my first baby. It says something in our program about carrying a message. Well, I simply didn't have a message. I had a lot of time, a lot of brass, a lot of eagerness and a lot of ego, and what have you, but I had no message. I finally got one in because this fella bought it. He was a, this poor guy, he was a captive audience, but he bought bought it anyway. And from that point on, they start coming in real fast. Had a dozen men going down to Akron from Cleveland, and as it happened, seven of them were Catholics, and five of them were other individuals. And, and they saw this performance going on in the Oxford movement, all this witnessing and getting guidance for other people and reading out of the king james version of the bible and all this uh, all this it really got wild sometimes these catholics looked at me and looked at each other and they told me they couldn't take this so by this time we had written the a.a. book that was written in the fall of 1938 and this is may of 39 i'm talking about now I went down to see my sponsor, tell him our problem, And he said, well, we're not keeping the Catholics out. I said, no, you're not keeping them out. But uh, the church keeps them out. The same thing, they can't come in. He says, well, that's their tough luck. He says, no, it's not their tough luck. We don't need that kind of thing. All this fault are all in the Oxford group that, uh, that they can't handle. We don't need. We got the 12 steps in this book now, and we have the four absolutes of honesty, unselfishness, purity, and love anyone can live by that i don't care if he's a catholic or if he's a hindu or what it might be it'll be nothing he can do this well you can't do it i said we got to do something so that's when the first unity came in in a.a we had the biggest damn riot here we saw (laughs) (laughs) down in akron and i thought when i announced that we weren't coming down there anymore we're starting our own group in cleveland and then I made the mistake of telling them the address where we're having the meeting. This is a, this is a bad. Because next Thursday night in Cleveland that whole bunch descended upon us and they tried to break up our meeting. And one guy was gonna whip me and this I must add, was all done in pure Christian love. <laughs> but that's how, that was a second indication of unity. We stuck together and that's how AA started. It starts in a riot and it grows in riots. People talk about unity and all that crap. If we had unity in AA, you'd have one big group and about six people doing the work and the rest of them getting drunk. There are people come into fellowship; that have to move. They're leaders, they have to do something. They can't sit in that back row and they can't sit on their hands. Alcoholics have peculiar tendencies and personalities and they have to be doing something. Alcoholics are doers. They're not thinkers. Alcoholics don't think. They emote.
1: <laughs>
0: no alcoholics ever going to do anything until he feels a certain way. If he hurts badly enough, he'll do something. If he don't, he all, all the king's horse is not going to pull him into it. So this is the way we have to prepare ourselves for membership here. You and I belong to the greatest fellowship in existence. I don't I don't mind telling you that, and I, I believe it too. And I'll tell you why. Everybody can't be an alcoholic. I don't think that over eight or 10% of the population can become an alcoholic. I don't care how hard they try. They just don't have it.
1: <laughs>
0: and we are very fortunate people and we can get along with each other one minute and be killing each other the next we'll always love one another in the last analysis it's crazy. we're the craziest bunch of people in the world but i'll tell you what if you're not nuts you don't belong here (laughs) (laughs) and we are and people wonder about these things you know that's why other people can't understand us they just can't figure out and we do things i do things today somebody say why did you do that I said, how do I know? <laughs> we don't think about things. They never see an alcoholic sitting down there contemplating his navel. You don't do that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but if he's going to do something. You can bet that he'll, he'll, he'll act. He'll do something. But you know, we earned our right to be here. And unless a person earns his right to be here and realizes that, he isn't going to appreciate this place. Really. And if we, if you stop and figure, sit down and figure out that the typical alcoholic that's been in business or in working and he retains the age of 40 years, it has cost him a minimum, a minimum of 50,000 bucks to get here. Believe me, that is some entrance fee. A lot of people join the country club and it cost them a thousand bucks. A thousand bucks a year and so much to play every time they go out. They think they're big stuff. They don't pay the fifty thousand bucks. But you and I pay fifty thousand bucks to get here. And money lost opportunities and to say nothing of the anguish and the heartache. And other things that happen, the tragedies that happen. So we are very much blessed that we had this opportunity and I'll tell you why. Alcoholism is probably the oldest malady that afflicts the human race. You read about alcoholism in, in ancient history. You read about it in the Bible. You read about it in mythology. There are a lot of good rummy stories in the Bible. This thing of booze has gone on a long time. And if you once you're reading the Bible, you'll find it's very interesting. you don't have to go any further than the first book of the Bible, and you'll meet your first Rummy. You meet Noah, the guy that had the boat. <laughs> There's a Rummy. You don't believe it? I'll tell you. You listen to this one. This is a guy in a Rummy. I'm a Chinaman. <coughs> The world has got itself in a shape about the way it is today, Everything's you know, everything going down hell-bent for disaster, you know. And God couldn't get these people to get off this kick. He finally gave up and he decided to wipe the whole thing out. It's going to flood the whole thing and start all over again. Well, he needed some seed to start with, so Noah was a good man. And he trusted God and he loved him. So he went to Noah and he says, Noah, my boy, he says, I want you to do something for me. He says, anything, Lord. He says, I want you to build a big boat. He gave him the directions and the dimensions of this boat. And he says, I want you to put after you finish it two of everything in there, every living creature, and I want you to put your family in there. So he says, why? well, I'm going to flood this whole world and destroy everything in it, and I'm going to start all over again. And you're going to be the seed. You're going to furnish the seed. Okay, that's all Noah had to know. This is what God wanted to do. So he goes to work. Got his family out there cutting logs and working for years and years on that bloody boat. And you can imagine what old Noah got from the neighbors. They come by and say, what are you doing, Noah? I'm building a boat. You're building a boat out here in the middle of a desert? And Noah is playing with a short deck. Well, he kept on regardless of the criticism. He finally got the boat built, and sure enough, he got all those animals and everything else in it. I wonder why he put those two mosquitoes in there. (laughs) Well, anyway, he put everything in there, and then finally the rains came, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and that boat starts to come up, and everything else is going down. A lot of those people who were laughing at Noah tried to get in that boat when they saw that rain coming. They finally believed what Noah said, but he wouldn't open the door, and they just had to stay out there and take what was coming to them. So the whole world got flooded out. And for several months, that boat floated around on that water. And finally, after a few months, the water started to recede, and the boat came down and settled on Mount Ararat, And the land came up, and what was the first thing our friend Noah did? He ran out there and planted a vineyard, he raised some grapes, he made some wine, he got drunk. (laughs) It's all in the Bible. I didn't make this up, it's in there. Now, I just mentioned that to point out that this alcoholism is nothing new. There's a lot of good rummy stories. I could stand here for an hour and tell you different rummy stories in the Bible, and they're all good. Some of them are you probably never heard that they were rummy stories, but you can associate with them when you hear them told properly. These ministers don't know how to tell these
1: stories.
0: (laughs) I hear some of these people talk about the good Samaritan. They don't know he's a rummy. You ought to hear some of the stuff they hand out that 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 story means. They talk about that prodigal son. They give you some of the wildest stories of why this guy was the prodigal son. They never, never occurred to these poor earthlings that these guys were rummies. They were, strictly drunk stories. Well, anyway, we, uh, alcoholism for centuries has been with us. is the only point I want to make. And all down through these centuries, believe me, everything has been tried. I have a book at home. It's about this six. And it was, written way back in the early 1800s about the history of alcoholism and what had been done up to that time in order to to solve this problem of heavy drinking and alcoholism and every you would be amazed at all the things that were tried and don't you know something not a one of them worked and this is history but so finally about 40 years ago this program came along. We grew out of the Oxford Movement. We had a program presented to us that works. Up to this time, the alcoholic, all down through these centuries, had two options. He could go crazy or die or both. About 40 years ago, this fellowship got together the way it is now, and the alcoholic got a third option. He can still go crazy, he can die or he get well. That's the story. And you and I get well. We have the answer to it. Why people will not pay any attention to it? Because they're so stubborn and because they're so fearsome. They fear, fear, fear. Fear is what kills us. Fear is a motivating factor in the alcoholic life. We are afraid to change our spots and change our whole direction. We're afraid to accept something that has a connotation of spirituality to it. We were in a meeting, oh, one of the, a couple of the boys are here tonight, we were in a meeting not just a week or so ago, and these two boys got up and had the audacity in an AA meeting to mention Jesus Christ. And did they get torn apart? You don't talk about God and Jesus in this day. I mean, this is AA. Can you imagine that? And this is an old group. This is not a bunch of beginners that just come off as as drugs or something. (laughs) Really. These are supposedly smart people. I wonder what they think where this program came from. I wonder. I wonder if they ever read this or here study what these 12 steps say. It tells here how it works. Now, how does it work? Let me tell you how it works. <clears throat> let me read this. Purposely, we didn't read this before the meeting, so I'm going to read it now. You hear this at all these meetings, most every meeting we attend, we hear this read. So let me read it to you. So this is how it works. So don't ever tell anybody you don't know why this works or how it works or here is is how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Thoroughly. Get that word. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Did you get that completely? Right? Okay, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. I, mean, I always hesitate to talk about honesty in connection with alcoholics, but it's in the book.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: there are such unfortunates. They are not at all. They seem to have been born that way. Eh? They, na- they, they are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a... Manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. See? Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders that many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. This is how it works. Don't forget this. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. You, now listen to this one. Here's the qualification for membership in AA. Right here. Listen to this very carefully. Because if you're not ready to do this, you're not ready for this program. It says, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, you are now ready to take certain steps. Roll that in over a while. If you want what we have, and are willing to go to any length, see? As, <coughs> As some of these we've We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil, until we let go absolutely. Absolutely. No hanging on to anything. Let the whole thing go down the drain. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God, not the light bulb, It's God. See? May you find him now.
2: Now listen to this one.
0: Half measures avail us nothing it doesn't say that half measures as ill as half results. It says nothing How about that. We are extremists, and we can't do anything halfway. When we drink, when we work, we work hard, we play, we play hard, and when we drink, we make a career out of it.
1: <laughs>
0: so half measures, we don't know anything about. But people come into this fellowship through fear, and one thing or another, they try to go through half measures. And they... They miss the boat. They don't get what they should be getting out of this fellowship. Not by a long shot. Some of them stay dry. dry, But they don't have any fun. We're here to enjoy life. And here to serve. And unless we get ourselves straightened around, we're not going to get much out of that. Then it says, here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. Alcoholics can screw up anything. They can screw up a two-car funeral. And they screw this up. That's this, uh, this sentence here reads this way to me. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. It doesn't say these are the suggested steps. But you can suggest them, you can take them or leave them. It is suggested as a program of recovery. See what it means? People screw this up and get a around ass package. Well, here we go. <coughs> Our program is divided into four phases. The first step is the first phase. That's the phase of admittance. Listen to that first step. There's two things in this first step, and most people only hear one. Most people hear one part of that step. They hear the first part. It says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. They don't hear this a little at all. And our lives had become unmanageable. Okay? There are 200 well-chosen words in these 12-step program. And alcohol is mentioned once, once, once. But there's an awful lot said in the rest of those steps about getting our life manageable. And that's what we have to do if we want to recover and have a good life and be happy with it and be be serviceable. Yeah, any any being back in to to drinking, you can get to a drinking in jail. You can get sick and you get somebody to put a Nutri on your neck or something and you can't swallow it. There's a lot of ways you can quit drinking, <laughs> but that's not satisfactory. No. Booze is always going to be here in this world. I, there's, there's no way that it's ever going to be eliminated because people will have it. And it's an accepted thing socially. And people, we talked, to I saw some new people the other night, we're talking about, the alcoholic, how he changes and the man the person who's a real alcoholic he starts out drinking in social functions and he's bragging about his drinking brags about it boy did i get a load on last night you know oh do i have a head today he brags about his drinking eh? well so then the time comes and he starts lying about it man when he gets there he's in trouble when you start lying about it <laughs> hiding those jugs and trying to all this self-justification that goes with it we're in trouble then so <clears throat> people hear that we admitted we have powerless over alcohol and you hear them yammering about alcohol, alcohol 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 they keep they keep drink conscious the rest of their life what we want to do is get the drink consciousness out of it and get something else in my life. Eh? Okay. My life is unmanageable. If I if my life is unmanageable and I can't manage it, and I admit it, I would better find myself a manager. That's as simple as I can see it. Very simple. So, as the next step, I came to believe. I came to believe. It didn't say I believe this when I got here. I came to believe. That a power greater than myself should restore me to sanity. The sanity bit never bothered me too much. I find some of the better get a little bit touchy about it, but uh, you start looking over your eyes and some of the things you pulled off. of this is a candy for the same person, I'll take vanilla. <laughs> but but <clears throat> here I came to believe. Why did I come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity? Tell you how I did it. The men who preceded me came to visit me in that hospital, in Akron, in City Hospital, these alcoholics. They were all all older men than I am, so that's why I'm the last one left of the original bunch. They just I just outlived them, that's all. And they had been down that road in alcohol and they'd been through the ringers, believe me. And they told me this power had helped them and would help me if I, I would but ask for it. And I wanted to believe them. That's how I came to believe them. I wanted to believe them. I wanted to get well. And I was willing to do anything that they told me. That's my willingness. This is what's necessary. All right. The second phase of our program is the second through the seventh step. We have the first phase. First phase is admission, second phase is submission, second through seven. Third step says, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. I hear people come in and say, you can take anything you want for God. You can take the group, you can take that piano, you can take that light bulb. Yeah. Oh, you heard that light bulb deal? I bet you've all heard it, haven't you? Heard the light bulb? Let me let me read the twelve steps of the light bulb. <laughs> no kidding. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, or our lives had become unmanageable. Came to believe that light bulbs, greater than myself, could restore me <laughs> to sanity. I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of my light bulbs. <laughs> I made a searching and service moral inventory of myself, admitted to my light bulb, to myself, and to another human (laughs) being. How do you like that? (laughs) My higher power has a name, and his name is God. And his son is Jesus. So I make no bones about it. Now, I didn't believe all this when I got here. I don't expect the person stumbling in here, too. But you better believe it if you want to get well and have a good life. There's more to this fellowship than just staying dry. There's a lot of airheads that come around here that can stay dry without doing anything. I don't think a lot of them were ever alcoholics to start with, and most of them don't have sense enough to be an alcoholic. To <laughs> so be an alcoholic, you have to have something on the ball. And some, you know, every alcoholic's a drunk, but every drunk's not an alcoholic. I say there's a lot of drunks. I, I associate with a lot of my drunks, all. You can't tell me too much about the type of drunks. And I tell you the fact a lot of those, those birds that I drank with were not alcoholics, and so they could drink as much booze as I could, and that's a big order, I'll give you. But uh, they weren't alcoholics. They could quit any time that they get a different hobby. I couldn't do it. I couldn't quit. I'm hooked. And I know that I've always probably will be. I let other people take the chances. I'm not gonna take chances myself. I don't I don't have any need for booze. I don't have any desire for it. I don't have any love for it. I don't have any fear about it. It just isn't in my life. serious. That's simple. I don't make a big deal out of it. So it says here, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. That's quite a decision for a guy that's been running away from God and trying to hide from for a long time and trying to deny him and trying to put some substitute in his place that's quite a thing to do and that takes desperation more than anything else we have to feel pretty desperate for we'll do that but if we feel that way gets right back to where that qualification was if we want if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length you're not ready see
2: very simple yeah
0: then it says and the fourth step, here's one that most people stumble all over the place on. And it's very simple, but they don't understand or they're not taught properly what it is. Fourth step says I need a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. You know, people come to our house from all over creation. They hear about this freak down in Castleberry, Florida that has some way of taking people through the steps in two days. And they've been fooling around with these steps for two years and they're not past one yet. And so they wonder what this freak's up to. So they call up and we talk to them. And some of them wind up coming down to find out what's going on. Some of them are curious, some of them really mean business. But they come. So when they come, now the girls are more more liable to this than the men. They take this fourth step. Meaning that they have to recite every lousy thinking deal they've ever been into all their life. And these poor gals, they sit down for weeks on end and write all this crud all mm-hmm. over a bunch of papers. And they come to me, and when they get to the Step 4, they hand me this sheaf of papers, which I just take and I turn around and throw it in the wastebasket rather, or whatever, don't even look at it. I'm not interested in uh, all the cruddy things that they did, and all this clap That's not what the Fourth Step calls for. If there's restitution to be made for some of the trudges that you did in your life, that is not, has nothing to do with the Fourth Step. That comes later. But that fourth step here says that we, make, we uh, made a search for this moral inventory. What are my moral capacities? What have I got morally that are good? What's bad? What do I have to get rid of? What's, what's ruining me in my moral setup? There are characteristics that are tearing me apart. I have 20 questions I ask this person about these moral situations. Things like... <coughs> self pity, self-justification, lying, and self-condemnation, impatience, dishonesty, uh, hate, resentment, and so on and on and on. There's 20 of them. These are the things we're looking for, and these are the things that are eating us up. These are the things we have to get rid of. But, oh, there's a trick here. It says that we're... My life's unmanageable. I can't manage. I can't do it. I'm, I'm at a loss. I'm, I'm not able to do it. Well... Step three, I made a decision to turn my will and life over to my new manager. Well, what have I got that guy for? Let him take it. Well, the thing I have to do is ask him to take these things away from me. I've been taught that any, I can, between God and myself, anything is possible. Myself, I can't do it, but with him, there's no limit to it. So, I wind up with 10 or 12 of these thinking things in my character that I have to get rid of. So, what do I do? It says I admit to God and to myself and to another human being. What did I admit? All that tread no. The exact nature of my wrongs. What a slob I was. What a liar I was. How resentful, how hateful and all this kind of business. What a liar I was. How dishonest I was and all this. How I gossiped and all that crap. These are the things. So I have to admit to him and that to another human being. Why another human being? Well, when you're dealing with my, with, my, uh, with my manager, he demands that I talk to somebody else, a human being. I express myself to a human being, vocally. Thank you. And it also says in the good books, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be also. Well if I'm gonna have my manager do something for me, I gotta No one choice that comes here. Because of the time an alcoholic's ready for AA, he is incapable of t- taking a on a tough job. He has to be easy. It's just that simple. But people say, Oh, it's all hard and I've an awful time with step forward. So, Step two, step one. They've been fooling around with that since for five years. Living miserable. When they can two days, or one day even, they could get over the whole thing and forget it. Go out and live like a live like a king. Yeah. So says I miss the God, myself, and another human being, the exact nature of my lungs. All right. Then it says this knowing that I'm an extremist it says, we're entirely ready. not kind of ready or about to get ready. I'm entirely ready. What? For what? To have God remove all these defects of character. He's going to remove. Mike can't do it. How simple, isn't it? Let George do it. I'm ready to have him them. All of them. Not, all, not just part of them. I'm very frank to admit there's some defects of character I'd like to keep. They're fun. But that isn't what the program calls for. And those fun things are usually the things that just the things that destroy us. So if we want to get well, here's the way we do it. This is a prescription for living. So what does it say then? I humbly asked him, humbly asked him to remove my shortcomings. Humbly. I listened to him uh, in a meeting one night of some, they were reading out of one of those books, Twelve Steps, Twelve seditions or something. And somebody writing that book is trying to explain humbly. And they got so far off the track, I didn't know what they are talking about. They got all mixed up with humility and humbleness and falling in the dirt and everything else. That's not what we do. Humbly means you approach your maker in a humble, worshipful manner. That's what it means. You recognize who he is and what your position to him is. That's what that means entirely. People make some things out of these things. We wonder where they get this stuff. But that's the imagination of a rummy. Our imagination is something else. And rummies, they should all be short story writers. (laughs) (coughs) After this seventh step, we go into the third stage, and that's restitution. That's the eighth and ninth step. (laughs) It says <laughs> we made a list of all persons we had harmed, now get this one, and became willing to make amends to them all. That's kind of hard. Because there's people that we have insulted, people we've double uh, dealt with, and one thing and another, and we don't want to talk to those people. And we don't want to get messed around with them. we were away from them, we don't want to get near fear. that ain't what the program calls for. We have to do it. Because we made a list of all persons we harmed and became willing. We have to have a willingness to make amends to everyone. Obviously, we cannot make amends to everyone we've harmed. That's impossible. Because some people have moved away. They're out of our orbit. They're dead or what have you. They're gone. The only thing we can do about that is I ask our manager to straighten it up for us. And he'll do it. Really. That's the only way to do it. But you've got a manager for us. He does the things you can't do. Why did you sweat it? Then it says, I made direct amends wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. This is a thing a person should never go around doing this a men's business without the uh, advice, counsel of a real wise sponsor. Because in our newest, in this life, we get so excited about things, we start running off in four directions at once. And it's a very easy manner to get other people involved in some things that we have no business involving them in. So this is a, so those steps should be taken with a good sponsor. And follow his advice, the person that's living a good type of life in AA. Not just because some guys been around here for 20 years. I know some guys in 20 years are still bums. The only good is they're sober bums now. They were drunken bums, now they're sober bums. They're worse bums anywhere when they're drunk. But they should know better. You know one? You're shaking your head, you know someone, huh? Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. You don't know any. Let's yeah. not get into personalities.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> now we've gone through three phases of our program. We've gone through nine steps. Now we get in the last phase, that's phase of construction is the last three steps, 10, 11, and 12. Listen to number 10. 10 has nothing to do, it's, a, it's an inventory step, but it has nothing to do with step four at all, which also is an inventory step. Step four calls for a personal inventory. It says we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves in step four. The other one calls a personal inventory in step ten. There's a vast difference. This moral inventory has all those moral degeneracies of ours that you list. But that isn't what the tenth step is about at all. The tenth step is a personal checkup on our actions every day, today. People talk about one day at a time. You know, most people are asking what they mean by that. Oh, you're going to stay sober a day at a time. Oh, nuts. <laughs> if you're in here only to only stay sober a day at a time, you're in the wrong league. Forget it. You're in here to live a day at a time. If you live a day at a time the way you ought to be living, you never worry about the Friday you're drunk in the theater. I can tell you that from experience. Nobody was any worse drunk than I was. And I have no problem with my booze and I haven't had, never had. Why? Because I did what these birds told me to do about these, this program. I don't say that people showered me with gifts or showered me with gold. or Anything I had, I had a lot of problems to solve like anyone else come in here. told somebody tonight and when I came here I had to change my whole economic setup. I was out of the line of work that I had been accustomed to and good in and experienced in. I couldn't go in it. They wouldn't let me in in the first place. But if they would, I, I wouldn't want it anyway. I, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I changed from being that kind of an executive to a salesman. Complete change. From ordering people around, making everybody do my work, to going out and working myself. That's a change. But I became a good salesman. I mean it, I I say so myself. I did all right, everything I ever sold. But you see, and rummy can do these things, and what we get into after we straighten up might be something entirely different than what we used to do. Got people in lines of work coming into AA, they ought to get out of them. They're not good for them. They're the devil's handiwork. You should get out of the crap, that kind of stuff. If you can't in good conscience do what you're doing in your job, get out of it and get something else. That's, that's good advice, believe me. And you might not like to give up that buff that you get from us might have to work for half the money. But what are, what are we here for? We're here to learn how to live and live the way human beings ought to live and be serviceable. That's what we're here for. And we're going through life here. We have so much time here. How much? Who knows? We're of so many hours, so many days, so many weeks, so many years. Then the day comes and we leave here. Where do we go? To me there's only two places to go a lot of people think there's three or four it is it's 2 to me here kid you're going either going to hell or you're going to heaven there ain't any excursions either way you're going to make it one way or the other and how you're going to make it is how you serve your new manager while you're here that's my message if i serve my manager properly I know where I'm going, yeah, you, know, you hear a lot of people go to some people say, You're gonna to go to heaven when you die? oh, I hope so, hope so hell, I'm going.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm going, you bet, and I hope I see you there. Oh, no, I don't have any doubt about it i'm seventy nine years on a picture screen there. It's nice it does to me. I find out that I have done something I have insulted somebody or done something I shouldn't do to them. Because we're human, we'll make mistakes. And I find out that I owe him an apology. I have to go do that right away. I uh, can't afford to wait. That procrastination will never get it done. So the first thing, first things first. Make that restitution. See, our life gets straightened up. In the first part of this program, now we're trying to live it that way. So that we keep it clean. Anytime I take a person through the steps or I get down through the eighth, through the seventh step, I tell them they're clean. God has forgiven everything you've ever done. He, he owes nothing against you. see, the one thing great about my manager, when he forgives, he forgets. He'll never remind me of it anymore. Now I'm human and I can get followed up again. And louse up. But I'll know it when I do. And I know what to do about it. And I don't wait till next week to ask his forgiveness. Do it right now. Now it gets to be a habit. And finally, you don't louse up so many times. You deal with as many people as I do, you get a lot of chances to screw up. Believe me, a lot of people are rather isolated. They don't have much trouble, a chance to get in trouble. If you get out and run around like some of we do, Brother, there's all kinds of things that you have to deal with. And we can make mistakes like anybody else, because there's nobody perfect. We're only reaching toward perfection. We never reach it here. But we reach it someplace else on the other side, but not here. So we check on ourselves every day in step ten. keep keep us keep us clean. Eleventh step, listen to that one. It's got a lot of words in it. It says in the eleventh step, I sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with my new manager, God. Praying only for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry it out. Break that down. Listen to this. It says that we're seeking something. Seeking it through prayer and meditation. Now, what is prayer and what is meditation? What's the difference? Prayer to me is talking to my new manager. Meditation is listening to him. In all of my wisdom, I have found out that the good Lord gave me two ears and one mouth. And that suggests something to me. (laughs) So it's a good idea to do some listening. And you may be amazed what you hear if you would listen. There's something in the it says that there's none so blind as those who will not see, and there's none so deaf as those who will not hear. And a lot of people will not hear. And they will not see. It's too, it's too bad. You don't have to be that way. There's nothing to be afraid of in this program. It's a program of courage. you have the greatest asset in the world when you go and join this program and go through this, these steps. And you've got a manager to take you through anything. Anything. People say to me, I've heard all these, all these stock alibis for getting drunk. All of them. I've heard them say, oh, I lost my job. And they just got so frustrated and I you one out and I got drunk. <laughs> Hell, I got fired how many times I can't tell you. I lost jobs. Then they say, well, I got divorced. Well, so did I? Well, I went in the service, and you know how it is when you go in the service. Yeah, I know how it is, but I didn't get drunk in the service. See? Okay. Well, I was supposed to get a promotion, and it didn't happen. Well, my wife went off with some other guy. Good riddance.
1: <laughs>
0: well, I, I mean, to get all this stuff all the time, and it's called baby talk. Baby talk. We come in here to learn how to grow up, and boy, do we have the—you and I have more characteristics and more power when we accept the power of God in our life. The a thing you wouldn't do, you wouldn't believe. I look back on my own life. I'm not—I'm not waving any flags. I look back on my own life and think of that skinny guy, 135 pounds, back in 1938, 39. Back there in Cleveland all by himself. No book, no friends, no money, no nothing, no nothing behind me. Out there trying to get roomies straightened up. And the things that I did over there, I can't believe it myself when I think about it. I look back and it couldn't be me, but it was. Now, I wasn't doing that. I was propelled. I was guided to do these things. I've always said this. If I were to pick a guy to do the job I did in the early days of AA, I'd be the last guy I'd pick because I had no qualifications, uh, nothing, no qualification whatever for it. Okay? It's true. If you don't believe that, read that book that Dr. Bob and the good old timers. You'll find something about it uh, in that book. It'll tell you some of the stories. It's impossible. Some of the things that happened to some of those people. Couldn't have, couldn't have happened, but they did. And we had this wonderful fellowship. People walk into this fellowship today, they think it's always been like this. Oh, don't kid yourself. Some of these people around 25, 30, 35 years ago tell you something about this fellowship it was like then. I'll tell you about 44 years ago. Now, there's a lot of things that have changed. But the principles haven't changed. There's a lot of people trying to change and when they do, they screw up this program. A lot of people do if you listen to them. You read a lot of trite that isn't worth reading too. But <clears throat> here we are <coughs> thought through prayer and meditation, talking to my manager and listening to him to improve my conscious contact with him. What does that mean? I have to feel and believe and sell myself the idea all the time that he's right here, as close to me as Bill Daly here, and I can talk to him. I can get answers from him. He's there, and I know he's there. See? Now, that isn't talking to spooks, either. He's here. He's everywhere. You don't believe that? Remember when the men landed on the moon? first guys that landed on the moon? What'd they do? They prayed. They were talking to him up there on the moon, all those thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away. And you're talking to him down here. Well, he's accessible, I'd say. He's right around here. Anytime you want him, he's here. you don't run away, we run away. Right? All right. So we're talking to him and listening to him to improve our conscious concept. Now it tells us what we're praying for. You ask a good many people in AA what they pray for every day. They say, Oh, it's great to stay sober today. Yeah, idiot. <laughs> if you're in this program, you never pray to stay sober. You got sobriety. Thank him for it. Pray that he shows you what to do with your life to help somebody else. See? This is what you pray for. What is your will, boss? Tell me what you want and send me. Give me the strength to do it. Tells me in the good book, you'll never put anything on me, you won't give me the strength to, to follow through with. For anything that I have to do, if I ask him, he'll send me. Some of the funniest things, the oddest things that happened to me in my life. I've gone, just you talk about guidance and being sent set out to do something. I'd made an appointment to meet somebody. 11.30, I'm going to meet you out at 9th and 8th 11.30, I'm at 199th and unused with some And I had no plan to be there at all. I'd planned my day to be where I said I was going to be. But he had other plans for me. When I look back on some of those occasions, it, it, it really startles me, because, because every in every instance, there was an awfully good reason why I was out of the 199th instead of 9th. Something had to take place out there, and it was important that I were there. This sounds a little bit, probably a lot of people are a little bit dizzy, but dippy. I got into a lot of dippy stuff in the, in the years I've been in AA, and I see an awful lot of dippier stuff right now. Alright. I stopped through prayer and meditation, improved my conscious contact with God. Praying only for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry it out. What do you want me to do, boss? And give me the power to do it. Twelve step, what does it say? People are talking about twelve stepping, twelve stepping. Holy smokes. What does what does it mean when it says twelve stepping? When they, you hear people talking about twelve stepping, it denotes you know, running after some drunk, or sitting up with them, or feeding them booze, or buying them a suit, or something—I don't know—or you know, going out seeing them and carrying them to a meeting and hauling them around and whatever. Twelve steps says having had a spiritual experience. Get this: here's just some words we missed entirely. As the result of these steps. Because we took these steps, the result was we had a spiritual experience. And what is that? Spiritual experience, people say, oh, change, you get your mind changed. Change your mind. Change your mind, what, what mind? <laughs> change your thinking, they say, what thinking? An alcoholic is thinking, he gets in trouble. We don't think, as I said before, we emote. So it says, having had a spiritual experience as the result of taking these steps, we had that spiritual ex- experience is not here. It's 18 inches below. It's down here. This is where the change comes down in here, not here. That noodle, the head's always sick. I told you that in the Bible. You read that in Isaiah. The whole head is sick, it says. And,
1: well,
0: if anybody ever had a sick head, we've had them, boy. No, you know everything in this program came out came from the Bible. I believe that it came from the Sermon on the Mount and the Book of James. But there's some references of the Old Testament too, getting the Old Isaiah and some of these deals too. But it says here, we tried to carry this message, not the alcohol. You don't haul those birds around on your back and nurse them and kiss them and all this kind of crap. You, you're there to carry a message to them. If you have a message to carry, if you don't have a message, take somebody with you that does. Then you'll learn how. That's as simple as I can tell it. So, try to carry this message to alcoholics. Did you get that? It didn't say we're carrying them to everybody in the whole world. We, Our ministry is alcoholics, and we're the only thing that can help alcoholics. Nobody else can do it. That's been proven down through the centuries. So that gives us a responsibility, and we're not supposed to, as the Bible says, cast our pearls before swine. We're supposed to go and plant seeds where they, be, where they can be expected to grow, and you can't go and carry these monkeys around on your back. You come and you present your program to them the best way you can and try to enthuse them about it. And they get it. From that point on, the Holy Spirit takes on. He's going to do the rest of it. You, We can't fix anybody. We call it fixing, but we just introduce them to it. From that point on, we have to leave it up to the manager. And he'll, he'll fix them if they mean business. If they don't, they get right down the story as usual. And it says we're going to practice these principles in all of our affairs. What principles? Principles of love and service. I just wish people would just sit down and work and work and read and read and study and discuss those steps. They start discussing them and then they start talking about a lot of crap that has nothing to do with this program. They get all fouled up on a lot of traditions and a lot of anonymity and all that. bull. don't mean anything. I'm not ashamed of people knowing I belong to this fellowship. I'm rather proud of it. I paid a heck of a price to get here. And I know some things a lot of those people don't know. And I feel some things they'll never feel. I've been blessed with a lot of things. I wish they could be blessed with it, but they're never going to have it. You know, we're the most fortunate people in the world. God does not pick out the cream of the clock. He picks out some real, real buzzards. <laughs> if you don't believe that, kids, yes. Read the life of the apostles. Read about those disciples. What a rough bunch they were! There was only two of them; the whole bunch of right. Yeah, there were two of them that had any education at all. One was a tax collector, and the other was a doctor. The rest of them were a bunch of roughnecks. And boy, he, he used to get teed off on them once in a while too. Not sure he was, but these are the kind of people he picked. He picks them when they're really kicked around and they're ready for something. Because a person that's never been hurt and has had everything. You have a hard time selling the idea of, of making his life become manageable. What is he going to And he got everything. Read the story of the rich young ruler. That tells you tells you very well in the Bible. He comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to be saved? He had everything, this guy had. He says, give all you have to the poor and follow me. Boy, the guy couldn't do it. That's the last you've ever heard of him. <laughs> it's true. Well, we got a guy sitting in this room tonight. He he's got a business. He finally found out when he met this manager of that this business don't belong to him. Don't belong to him. And he's only the steward of this business. And so he's letting his manager run the business because he screwed it up so bad. And since he's letting the manager run the business, his money's coming in to so him, he can't count it. He's sitting right in his room here. I'm not going to make him stand up, but I bet you some of you know him. He doesn't think he's so smart. He's got a good business. Anybody look at that guy and say, boy, that guy's got a good, he really got a good, he's got a, he must be a sharp guy. He's a slob. (laughs) (laughs) But God takes care of him because he's his man. He's turned everything over and he depends on God to run it for him and he does his part as little as possible. But it works and he'll probably tell you about that himself before the weekend's over believe me well that's the program that's how it works so if somebody asks you how does this work just tell them what i said tonight (laughs) and you got it made how long have we been at this i've only been talking an hour and a half well let's get into part two Now, this, this is a wonderful situation. I'm sure glad that I have had the opportunity and have been blessed with the opportunity to be among people such as you for so many years. I've been around here many more years than what a lot of people have been on earth here to sit in this room. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I'm very thankful for that. And whatever happens to me, if I'm not here in the morning, I'm some better. I'll miss you, but I'll see you all again, I'm sure. But it's been a wonderful night for me. I am past 79 years old. And, uh, you know, usually, of course, the last 70 years to be in 10. i beat that so far. And I've seen a lot of my old friends pass on to their rewards. And every year, those ranks get thinner and thinner and thinner. But, uh, I know where most of those people lined up, and they wouldn't have had a Chinaman's chance had they not got into this fellowship. But I've seen a number of those people pass away, and pass away happy and contented, and, and with no fear, or whatever. In fact, it was, they're welcome. They welcome what's come. I know one fellow, and some of you people have met this bird. I remember one time he, he actually died on a hospital table and he was back for some time and once some am him back into this world again and uh, he he says don't ever do that again I go again <laughs> things were too good where he went they brought him back he got mad at the people well that's old Hal Hill you so many guys know him you read a lot of his books. Yeah, this is true. And there's other experiences happen like that. We live a wonderful life here. It prepares us for what's coming. And you and I have a chance to serve unlike any other person has in this, in this community. We are we have alcoholics here to work with. And people who want to get their lives straightened out. Every alcoholic has to get his life straightened out. A lot of them don't have to go to the extent in their drinking that I did or some of the other people did. No, we're getting a lot of youngsters in here now. But they know that their life is wrong and they want to do something with it. It's up to us to know what this program is and know how to give it to them. And I know how to help inspire them to accept it and, and, and apply it. And you and I have this privilege. Now, what, else, what other society do you find where you can find this kind of a ministry for you are an expert. You are an expert. You are an authority. Yeah. You're an authority in alcoholism. I belong to a number of different fellowships and lodges and clubs and organizations. I, I'm a joiner. And I have always taken some active part in everything I ever joined. And I've enjoyed a lot of these outfits and these different lodges and different things that I belong to. And I still do. And I attend because it keeps me balanced well, uh, because I I need some balance, I need some other contact besides just doing thing all the time, naturally. You can't live on vanilla ice cream all the time, you have to have some nuts with it or something. But anyway, (coughs) I have belonged to these outfits and have been active in them. But I, I enjoy them, and I've gotten some benefits from them. And I I hope, I like to feel I've contributed something also. But I have never, there's no outfit that I know of that can match what we have here in this fellowship. This is a life-giving and a life-sustaining fellowship. We take people who are dead and make them, help them to live. And what a life we have. What a life. It's been awful nice talking to you. And uh, I know I'll be talking to a lot of you personally for the weekend's over. And, and I'm happy that you all came here. And we were fortunate in getting enough beds for all the people we have this time. Next time we'll have more beds, so bring a friend next time. we'll give them the benefit of something that's real, this is real AA that you're going to get here. It's not a lot of this hogwash that you hear. And, and they, they talk about a lot of things that have nothing to do with changing your life at all. So, we all know what I'm talking about. Come here, you'll learn something about living. And that's what we're here for. Learn how to live as human beings are supposed to. Thank you very much.
2: Wasn't that beautiful? Praise the Lord for Clarence Snyder. I have heard that he's not won any uh, contest in which you have to describe something under 25 words or less, though. (laughs) Uh, Any of you here, Clarence didn't mention this, and I'll take the privilege of doing it, who have not had anyone discuss these steps with you who might wish to do so, if you would be Clarence or myself or following the meeting, and there are some others here who I, we know, are um, equipped to discuss these and have been trained by the master. Uh, you'd see us after the meeting or over the weekend, I'd we'll be happy to discuss that with you. Uh, Clarence, did you want to announce about the 11-step meeting, where it's run and so forth? Yeah
0: after the after the meetings here tonight and tomorrow night there will be 11 step meetings we'll split up and have a couple of groups uh, and we'll go into 11 step. and bill and harriet Davy will handle those meetings and they're very well equipped to do it tomorrow night saturday night after the regular meeting tomorrow night we'll have a wiener roast then after the wiener roast we'll go into the into the 11 step meeting as you all know, there are refreshments out here that you're welcome to help yourself to. Nobody's going to wait on you. You just go take them and don't don't uh, get sick on them. But uh, do ever do all things in moderation. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do want to say that Reverend Kirsten... Sorry to say but he got off he must be becoming a rummy himself (laughs) Uh, his mind wanders sometimes too but he's pretty stable as a rule uh last year a bunch of people out here smoking they set their feet up on that wall of the building well it cost me 65 bucks to have that building repainted. so please if you're going to lean on a building lean with your behind and not your feet and go sit somewhere or sit in one of those tables and smoke all you want. But don't put your feet up on those white walls. Uh, it just uh, it just doesn't look good. But uh, I don't want to bore anybody out, but I just thought I'd bring out your attention. See, you don't realize, people don't realize that your shoes get from your rubber heels and stuff. They they bother you. They really cut that stuff up. So uh, that's so much for these meetings now. You all have programs and you know what's coming off here. In the morning we have breakfast at eight o'clock, 10 o'clock we have our meeting, and we have a couple of speakers there in the morning. Then we have lunch, then in the afternoon, this is an important time in the afternoon, Saturday. uh, We have free time. This is when you can, like Steve mentioned, get with Steve if you want some some further consultation and advice or help on these steps. Talk to him and he'll, if he is too much tied up, he'll find somebody to help you with it. There are people here who can help. And then we have choir. Any of you folks been here before know that we have a choir. And you don't have to be able to great singer, but just get there. You just get up there and look pretty. and You do all right. But we had a good choir last time. You know, we had about 30 people that choir last time. No kidding. That's more than i have seen a lot of churches they so John Simmons here, stand up, John. Hey, John. John. John and Selma have been with us from the first time we ever had retreats over Camp Florida. And John got sick a couple of years ago and he had a lung removed, so he wasn't able to come for a couple of years and he's back with us now. And he always took care of the choir and took care of the God, as I understand, a meeting on Sunday morning. And you're going to get to know him and, to get, home and get a clear. Because they're great people, both of them. And they, they have a good spirit. So he's the one that will handle the, handle the choir. So 2 o'clock, they have a choir practice. Now in the evening, tomorrow evening, we have, have one speaker. Bill, are you here? Bill Willis? Yeah, here he is. Reverend Bill Willis, he's a, he's a creature from up in Georgia. You know, I don't think he's hellfire and damnation, but he's awful close to it. <laughs> but he's a rummy. And Mrs. Willis, you stand up a second. She's also a rummy. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, we're going to have Bob ratsky and Annette Wilson. Annette Wilson, where's Bob? Yes, no. Annette Nelson, yeah. Annette, get up. <laughs> and, and of course, the dailies, get up so they know who you are, so they'd be able to touch you. In
1: a half an
0: hour. In a half an hour, you have a meeting here. Okay. Take a break for a half an hour, and then come back. One other note: you want to say?
2: Uh, for those of you who haven't registered yet please go into the registration area in the administration building right in front of the uh, before the check-in desk there's a great snyder will be over there to help you with that let's close with a moment of prayer again please if you'd stand
1: for